Chapter 7 of The Yellow Sheet. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Yellow Sheet. The LibriVox NaNoWriMo Project 2007. Chapter 7. Written by Kristen Ferreri and recorded by Dean Weiss. The next morning, Liz ran a search on YouTube. No new videos had been posted by Who Knows Who 754, the screen name their group had invented for their collective internet personality. That was odd. They had all agreed the night before that they would begin their efforts the next morning before work, which for Colin would have been around 6 a.m. Next, she did a quick search on the Yahoo forums. Still nothing. In fact, there were no signs anywhere that any other members of the team had been active. Liz sighed disenchantedly. Seriously, was she the only person on earth who knew how to get anything done? She reached for the phone to dial Jen's number. There were four rings, then a beep, and Jen's voice. Hey, you've reached Jennifer, and I can't get to the phone right now, so leave your name and number, and I'll probably call you back. Another beep. Hey, Jen, Liz said into the receiver. What's up with the internet deal? I thought we were starting tomorrow, and there's no sign of anyone yet. Give me a call. I'm going to track down the other people. Next, she tried dialing Colin. This time, there wasn't even an answering machine. The phone rang for a solid minute and a half before Liz finally hung up. It was the same with every number on the list. None of her friends were at home, or even within reach of their cell phones, so it seemed. She tried emailing them. No response. She signed into her chat client, but no one was online. She blew a puff of air upward into her sandy bangs in frustration. How were they supposed to get to the bottom of the phenomenon Colin had jokingly dubbed the Yellow Pages? Liz returned to her computer and pulled up half a dozen random forums and created the screen name Who Knows Who 754 on each one, then posted a question. Hey guys, anyone else notice the yellow flyers that say Who Knows scattered around? They're everywhere around here. Are they some kind of teaser campaign or something? She hit send on each of the six forums, then left the computer to make some coffee. Twenty minutes later, she had six reply notifications in her mailbox. She tried each. First, the famously international LibriVox forums. Someone named Corey had replied to her. Eagerly, she clicked the first link. Hey, who knows, the reply said. I've moved your question to the off-topic forum. I don't think you meant to post this in Readers Wanted unless you want to coordinate a collaborative reading of the flyers. There followed a long discussion on whether the Library of Congress would clear the flyers for public domain. Liz rolled her eyes and closed the windows. Literature nerds. Go figure. Google, Wikipedia, and Twitter were equally unhelpful. No one seemed to take the request seriously. Either she was mocked for being a noob, or ignored entirely. Suddenly, her speakers chimed at her. A new email? She opened the mailbox. It was from LibriVox, a private message notification. She reopened the LibriVox forums and logged in. The private message wasn't from anyone she was used to seeing on the forums, though their post count was a surprising 1337. The body of the post consisted of a block of text quoted from her original post and a response. Maybe you should ask them directly. Maybe you should ask them face to face. Liz's heart began to race. Calm down, she told herself. This is probably just another crank. But I have to be sure. I have to explore all possibilities. Liz hit reply. Where can I find them, she asked, and sent the message. She spent a tense six minutes and 45 seconds, yes, she counted the seconds, in front of her monitor, watching her mail notifier and muttering please, 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 over and over under her breath. Finally, there was a reply. She refreshed her inbox and opened the new message. The note read, 1337 post court. What on earth? The post count? Liz furrowed her brow, then remembered with a jolt that post court 
was the name of a street two blocks from her apartment building. Liz had never changed from pajamas to street clothes so fast in her life. She grabbed the first thing out of her pile of unfolded clean laundry, a pair of cut-off jeans, a lime green t-shirt, words, New Jersey is for lovers, printed on the back, and her magenta socks with the pom-poms on the cuff. She pulled on her cowgirl boots to complete the ensemble, shoved her keys, driver's license, and credit card into her pocket just in case, and ran out the door. 1337 postcord looked like a relic from the Victorian period, gargantuan brick-walled, ivy-covered, and completely decrepit. It rose from three teetering stories above the pavement before culminating in a weather-torn roof. Liz checked the printout she had made of the private message. Could this be the place? Maybe they mistyped the address, she thought hopefully. She briefly entertained the idea of running back to the house to see if they had sent her a correction. So sorry, I meant 1338. But she knew in her gut that it was impossible. She remembered wistfully her cell phone lying on the dresser and wished she'd had the presence of mind to bring it with her. Then she took a deep breath and knocked on the front door. No reply. Of course there'd be no reply. She tried the handle. Unlocked. Of course again. She tiptoed inside and left the door slightly ajar behind her, just in case she had to make a rapid escape. Everything about this place was so coincidental. She didn't trust the door still to be unlocked if she had to get out quickly. Liz did her best to be quiet as she made her way down the cobwebbed hallway, but it was nearly impossible to be completely silent in cowgirl boots. Still, over the clacking of her heels, she thought she heard the sound of a distant sobbing. She paused. Sure enough, there were rapid, uneven breaths coming from down the hallway. Liz was struck with a sudden burst of courage. She ran all the way to the last door in the hall and burst in. It was the strangest room she had ever seen. The walls looked freshly painted, but whoever had done the job had chosen a drab, dirty-looking tan. The furnishings in the room were expensive, but sparse and messily placed. A smattering of cushioned office chairs in no apparent order. A corkboard hung on a single wall, and among the ten or fifteen newspaper articles pinned it to it, Liz spotted one of the yellow flyers. Overhead hung a huge television monitor, so gigantic that Liz thought it might have been stolen from a billboard or a sports arena. Finally, in the center of the room was the source of the sobs, a woman who looked about forty years old and who was wearing nothing but a stained hospital gown was duct-taped to a folding chair. She struggled against the bonds, but she was thin and clearly undernourished, and Liz could tell that she was quickly exhausting herself with her struggles. She stepped forward. Excuse me, she said. Let me help. She reached for the duct tape that held the woman's arms to the back of the chair, but as Liz's fingers brushed her skin, the woman snapped her eyes open and gasped. You used to be me, she whispered. What? Liz gasped. Listen. There was an urgency in the woman's tone which made Liz forget her situation entirely and pay close attention. My name is Elizabeth McKenna, the woman said. Do you recognize the name? Does it sound familiar? No, Liz said reflexively, but then she hesitated. It did sound familiar. Familiar and somehow terrifying. Think, Elizabeth McKenna demanded, as if she knew what Liz was thinking. Try to remember. I don't remember, I'm sorry. But as Liz said those last two words, there was a deafening whir of static, and then the monitor flashed on. It was a scene from a pornographic video, and Liz's first impulse was to look away in embarrassment. But then she saw the girl's face. It was like a half-remembered image from a vivid childhood dream and she couldn't tear her eyes away, squinting to block out all of the image except the girl's face. She's you too, Elizabeth McKenna said. Do you remember yet? I remember, Liz said. I think I remember anyway. But I don't know what you mean when you say she's me. 
How can she be me? She's not you. You're her, Elizabeth corrected. Liz waved her hand impatiently. Whatever. How can either of us be the other one? How can both of us be you? Or both of you be me? Or whatever it is you said. Elizabeth's haggard face drooped in disappointment. I was hoping you could tell me. Suddenly, the monitor blinked off, and as Liz looked around the room, her eye caught sight of the yellow flyer. She laughed. I see now, she said. Who knows? That's really cute. I am glad you think so, said a third voice. Liz's fingers had remained on Elizabeth's shoulder to comfort her, and she felt every muscle in Elizabeth's body tense at the sound of that voice. Liz herself felt a shiver go down her spine, but she was wound so tight by now that she couldn't tell if it was because of any real danger or just the terrifying situation. Slowly, she turned to search for the source of the voice. Are you the person who wrote to me? Liz, I've written to you more times than I can count, and a handful of the yellow flyers floated into the room from the doorway. Liz leapt to her feet. Come here, I want to see who I'm talking to. Do you know what's going on? The woman who stepped into the room was tall, very tall. Nearly seven feet, Liz guessed at first glance. She was dressed all in red, a long red skirt, red shoes, a red blouse, and a long red parka that reached far past her knees. On anyone else, the parka would have brushed the floor. As the woman in red stepped into view, Elizabeth McKenna began to sob again, this time with real, frightened tears. I'm the same person as you, the woman in red whispered. What I need to know is who knows why. This is the end of chapter 7.